0: Welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Calvary Fort St. Lucie. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the Message Storm Strategy. All right. Well, if you have lived in Florida for any length of time, then you know how important it is to make sure you're prepared for the hurricane season. So the Atlantic hurricane season lasts for six months. It starts on June 1st, and it goes all the way until November the 30th. But it seems like August, September, and October, those are the three months when Floridians like you and I, we hold our breath and we pray, God spare us this year, don't let the big one come. And so according to the NOAA, Florida has been directly hit by 117 hurricanes in recorded history, many of which left extensive damage and also caused a lot of loss of life. So this is serious stuff. And so it's important because we know we're in mid-June, hurricane season's coming, you never know, it's important to have a plan in place ahead of time. And so as Floridians, what do we do? We prepare every year, we stock up on things like bottled water, non-perishable food, flashlights, batteries, candles, matches and lighters and ice packs and disposable tableware. We also make sure we have things like a battery powered radio, a first aid kit. We always make sure we have a waterproof container, right, for our important documents. We don't want to get damaged. A manual can opener, propane for our gas grill because we like to flip burgers during hurricane season when the electricity goes out and we have to make sure our prescriptions are all filled. Now, if our area ends up being in the path of the storm, then we also make sure that we put up our hurricane shutters We make sure that we fill our cars up with gas. We take out extra cash from the ATM if the ATM is up. We bring in our patio furniture. And then, if you're like me, we turn down the air condition as low as it will go to make the house as cold as possible for as long as possible after electricity goes out. We do the same thing with our refrigerator and our freezer to try to preserve the food for as long as possible. And many of you who can afford it like your generator, so you can keep everything nice and cold. If it looks like we have to evacuate, then it's important to leave early. And so in 2004, I don't know if you remember this, but our area on the Treasure Coast, we took two direct hits from major hurricanes. Does anybody remember Francis and Jean? I was there. A lot of you guys remember as I do as well. And so Hurricane Francis, Labor Day weekend, 2004, Hurricane Francis hit as a Category 2 storm with 105 mile an hour winds. So our family decided, we're getting out of here. The problem is we packed up the car and we left a little too late. And so my mom lives over in Tampa. Usually it takes me three hours to get to her house. That day, it took us eight hours to get to Tampa because the Florida Turnpike, if you remember, was like a parking lot. And so we beat the storm, we got there by the time it crossed over, it had died down and and, and so it was little significance in the Tampa Bay area, but pretty big significance here. We drove back, you guys remember this, less than three weeks later, Hurricane Gene, direct hit on the Treasure Coast where we live. And so Gene was a category three storm with 120 mile an hour winds. We decided we're not gonna fight the traffic, we're gonna stay home. And so we stayed home for Hurricane Jean, and um, that night, uh, the, we, we heard the wind, as many of you start to whip up, and then it was like elephants were running back and forth across of our roof, hour after hour. I was so grateful our three girls at the time were just sound asleep through the whole storm. But I was ready, I had my battery-powered radio, and I was tuned in to Steve Weagle. Not Pastor Bob Cooper, who looks exactly like Steve Weagle. Have you guys ever noticed that? Um, but, but Steve Weagle was on the battery powered radio, and this is how accurate these guys are. He said, Poor St. Lucie, 10 15 minutes, you're going to experience the eye of the storm. And sure enough, 10 or 15 minutes, everything died down. My family and I walked out, and we looked up, and we saw the beautiful stars up in the heavens. We went back into the house. Wind started, elephants running over our roof back and forth for many hours. And so concerning this year, the 2018 hurricane season, the NOAA has said that this will be a year, quote, this is their official statement, near or above normal, near or above normal. And so I'd encourage you, we're in mid-June, I encourage you just in case, have your plan in place sooner rather than later. Now in our passage today, the disciples are going to encounter yet another storm. Now we just saw them encounter a storm in chapter four. Here we are just two chapters later in chapter six and they're getting pounded once again. Why? Here's why, because life is filled with storms. Life is filled with literal storms and life is filled with metaphorical storms. Storms, in other words, life is filled with trials and troubles that blow into our lives and threaten to shake us to the core. And so if we know that storms are coming, wouldn't it be wise if we had a storm strategy in place before the storm comes, right? Just like it's important to have a storm strategy in place before the hurricane season comes, because you never know, this might be the year So it's important to have a storm strategy in place before the trials and the tribulations come blowing into our lives. And so today I'm gonna share with you five strategies, five strategies that are gonna help you navigate through your next storm. And before we start, I've gotta ask the question, same question I asked when we were in chapter four. The question is, why? Why does God allow storms to come into our lives? If God is a good God, and by the way, this is the beef much of the world, unbelieving world has against our God. If God is such a good God, why in the world does he allow these trials and tribulations and troubles and storms come into our lives? And so outside of the fact that we live in a fallen world, which I could preach another sermon on that topic, let me give you the same principle I gave you back in chapter 4. I'll share it right now in chapter 6. If you're taking notes, here's your first point. Storms come either to discipline us like Jonah or to what's the word? develop us like the disciples. They either come to discipline us like Jonah or They come to develop us like the disciples. So for those of you guys who missed chapter four, I'm not gonna retell the story of Jonah. Just know that Jonah was a rebellious prophet. God told him to go to Nineveh, to the Gentiles, to preach repentance to that city. And Jonah, because he was a racist at heart, said no, and he ran the other way. He rejected the Lord's word. He disobeyed the Lord. He went in the opposite direction. And because of his rebellion, God sent a storm into Jonah's life. A storm of correction. Now listen to this. That correction included a three-day, three-night, all-expense-paid stay (laughs) in the belly of a great fish. And I don't know about you, but that would make me repent. And that made Jonah repent. So he had some prayer time within the belly of that great fish. You guys know the rest of the story. The fish vomited him out on the shore and he went and preached repentance to the city of Nineveh. Okay, so sometimes storms come, like right now. (laughs) Sometimes storms come to discipline us, like Jonah. But, hey, if you're living for the Lord, If you're following Jesus Christ, I know none of us are perfect, but if you love the Lord and you're following the Lord, then you need to know that storms don't come to discipline you, they come to develop you. I'll put it another way. Storms don't come to punish you, they come to perfect you. So remember from last weekend, the word perfect doesn't refer to sinless perfection. No, in the Greek New Testament, when you see that word perfect, it's not saying be sinless, what it's saying is referring to spiritual maturity. Being perfect in the New Testament is talking about being fully developed, growing up spiritually. And that's what the disciples needed, and that's what we need uh, today as well. And so last week we covered the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. If you include women and children, remember conservatively, Jesus fed 10,000 people in that wilderness area. Does anybody remember how many baskets of leftovers they took up after that they fed all the people? 12 baskets. And so right now I want you to picture in your mind the disciples are loading up their food, one basket each, into the boat. Okay? So if you have that mental picture in your mind, just say amen. We want to transport ourselves into the pages of the scripture. We wanna go back 2,000 years ago, get in the sandals of the disciples. We wanna be there. So we're gonna pick it up today in verse 45. It says, immediately Jesus, and if you don't mind marking in your Bible, I want you to underline the word made. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, And go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And I want you to pay special attention to the phrase in verse 45, that immediately Jesus made. Everybody say the word made. Made. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. So that leads you to your first strategy. Storm strategy number one. Before you go into the storm, you need to remember that the Lord is guiding you. The Lord, if you belong to the Lord, you need to know that he's guiding you. Now the Sea of Galilee, because of where it's situated geographically, it's prone to these sudden nasty storms. We go to Israel every two years, we'd love to have you come on one of our trips. So I've been to the Sea of Galilee a number of times, and, and here's what I know. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by these mountains, little mountains, large hills, whatever you want to call them, but they're surrounded by these mountains. And so what happens is that often the wind whips down from the mountains through the valleys, and the valleys act like wind funnels. And sometimes, man, that wind just goes blowing right down on the lake. So that's what happens that's what's happening right now in the Bible. The disciples are out in that lake and they're trying to row their way and all of a sudden the the wind is coming down and it's a pretty bad storm. This story can be found in three out of four of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke skips it for whatever reason, and John. So Matthew, Mark, and John uh, contain this story. And so when you look at the different gospel writers and their account of this storm, it's a pretty bad storm. Matthew tells us that the wind was so strong that it blew the boat a long way from the shore and the waves beat against the boat. Mark tells us that they made headway painfully for the wind was against them. John tells us that the sea became rough because a strong wind, not just any wind, but a strong wind was blowing against the disciples. So I want you to picture the scene in your mind, and Rembrandt, from his painting in 1632, will help you uh, picture the scene. And so the wind right, was howling and blowing, and so therefore... The boat was ascending and then descending upon these turbulent waves. The water's coming up over the bow. The 12 baskets of leftovers, they're getting soaking wet. And when you do the math, as you compare the different gospel accounts, you find out that the disciples had been out there for hours, rowing and rowing and rowing against this fierce wind. So they're utterly exhausted Now here's the question, was it God's will? Was it God's will for them to go through this difficulty? Here's the answer to the question. Look back at verse 45. Immediately, Jesus, what's the word? Made, Made. everybody say made. made. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. How many of you believe the son of God is all knowing? You believe that? Okay, so the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, of the same substance as the Father, God became man. Therefore, Jesus Christ has the same attributes as the Father, as the Holy Spirit. He's omniscient, He knows everything. Therefore, Jesus Christ knew exactly that a storm was coming down that night on the Sea of Galilee, and yet he made his disciples get in the boat anyway. If you're with me here, say amen. Listen to this. He guided them right into the storm. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know, that when the storms of life blow up around you, you need to know that God is guiding you as well. When trials and troubles come your way, don't automatically think, oh man, I must be out of the will of God. When difficulty comes, don't automatically think, wow, what sin did I commit that God is punishing me in this way? Don't let your mind go there because how many of you guys understand we have an enemy that's always trying to kick us while we're down? He's always trying to get us to feel shameful and guilty. Now, remember the principle The principle is that yes, if you're rebelling against the Lord, if you're directly disobeying the Lord, running in the opposite direction like Jonah, yes, God may send a storm to correct you because he loves you so much he wants to get your attention and bring you back. That's true. But if you love the Lord, if you're following the Lord like the disciples, he doesn't send storms to punish you, he sends storms to perfect you, to develop you. Storms are coming, Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so what kind of attitude? By the way, how many of you guys understand how important attitude is? Attitude is everything. And so what kind of attitude should we have when the winds of adversity are blowing against our life? I shared this passage with with you last week. Because it's so good, I'm going to share it with you again. And by the way, this is how we learn through repetition in the Word of God. Okay, so check out what James says. We'll put it up on the screen. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, when storms blow into your life, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, this is what's important to God, not your comfort, but your endurance. Your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, there's that spiritual maturity. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, and complete, needing nothing. So when the storms of life, when they blow against us, we can be sure, hey, Jesus knows all about it. He's sovereign. He's gonna use those storms to fully develop us, to strengthen us. How many of you guys like going to the gym and working out? Let me see your hands. Wow, five people, woo! We're in shape, we are church in shape. And so you know, when you're in the gym, right? Some of you guys have a personal trainer and they're like, when when you're there on the bench press, hey, four is not enough, I want six. And they're like, get it done. Where's five, let's go, let's go, let's go. What are they doing? They're pushing you to develop your endurance, to strengthen your physical muscles. The Lord sometimes does that to us to fully develop us, to strengthen our endurance, to strengthen our spiritual muscles, so to speak. And so look at verse 46 now. It says, and after he had taken leave of them, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And I want you to underline the word pray. And when evening came, The boat, you know, with the disciples, the boat was out on the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. He's up on the mountain. Verse 48, and he saw, please underline the word saw. He saw that they were making headway painfully, okay? He saw their pain. Jesus sees your pain. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. I want you to take special attention to verse 46. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. That leads you to storm strategy number two. During a storm, remember the Lord is praying for you. He's praying for you. You see, from his mountaintop viewpoint, I've been there, and my favorite mountain around the Sea of Galilee is Mount Arbel in the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee because when you get up there, and by the way, it's a hike and you're out of breath, but when you finally get up there, you look and you can see the whole northern half of the Sea of Galilee. It's absolutely beautiful. We don't know what mountain Jesus was on. But from his mountaintop viewpoint, He looked down, by the way, this had to be supernatural because it's the middle of the night, but he looked down and he saw his guys, his disciples, struggling at the rows. He saw them struggling at the oars, rowing. He saw them fighting against the wind. He saw them painfully making headway. And so what did Jesus choose to do? He chose to pray for them. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the same way with us. Jesus, from his mountaintop viewpoint at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he's looking down on you. His eyes are on you. And he sees the pain you're going through. He sees you in the storm. And so what is he doing? He's praying for you, just like he prayed for his disciples. After Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day, a little later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Luke tells us this, Luke tells us that there's Jesus and there's his disciples. And he's there um, around the the area of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And he's getting ready to ascend back to the right hand of the father. So I know Jesus is excited to be reunited with the father who he shared glory with before the creation of the world. And so he's there. And Luke tells us that he lifts up his hands and he begins to bless his disciples And as he's blessing and as he's praying for his disciples, I believe with a smile on his face, Luke tells us that he takes off and he begins to rise. He begins to ascend to the right hand of the Father. It's such a beautiful picture. Here's what you need to know. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus' prayers and blessings have never stopped for his followers. He prayed for his followers in A.D. 33. He's been praying for his followers for the last 2,000 years, and he's praying for you right now. From his mountaintop, mountaintop viewpoint at the right hand of the Father, his hands are extended I believe smile on his face and he's blessing you and he's praying for you. What does it mean when you see Jesus ascending while he's blessing and praying for his followers? It means that God is for you, he's not against you. And you know that because he's praying for you. Check out what Paul wrote in Romans eight thirty four. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is doing what for us? If you're new to the Bible, that means he's praying for you. Look at what Hebrews says. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. This is what Jesus lives to do. He always lives to make intercession for them, he's praying for us. From his mountaintop viewpoint at the right hand of the Father in heaven, his eyes are on us just like they were on the disciples 2,000 years ago. And especially when you're going through that trial, that tribulation, that storm, you need to know Jesus is praying for you. Now, some of you might think, I really appreciate that, Pastor. I really appreciate the fact that Jesus is praying for me, but I really wish, you know, he'd intervene. Well, you know, as well as I do, that at the right time, he will. Not in your time, but in his time. All right, look at verse 48. It says that he saw them that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Here we go. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. I really wish Jesus wouldn't just pray. I really wish he'd intervene. He will. Not in your time. In his time. At the fourth watch of the night, whatever that means for you, he'll come to you. He came to them, halfway down 48, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a spirit. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. I I like the New King James right here. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So I want you to pay special attention to verse 48, the phrase, Jesus came to them, he came to them walking on the sea. So it leads you to storm strategy number three. When you're going through a storm, please remember that the Lord, he's victorious over all, over everything. Man, we need to elevate our view of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's important to get here before the first note of the first song during worship because all of our worship songs, what do they do? They give you a correct, orthodox, biblical view of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important to, from your spirit that's been made new by the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus, that from that spirit that's alive, man, we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And so you need to know the Lord, he's victorious over all. During the fourth watch of the night, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the disciples looked, they're in the boat, they've been rowing for hours, and they look, and then there's a figure out there. And so as they're looking, I want you to picture this, the boat's going up, and when it goes up on the top of the billow, they can see the figure out there on the sea, and then it goes down, and it's hidden by the water, and then they go up again, and now it's getting closer. And so what's happening, as you picture this in your mind, um, they're freaking out. They're crying out in terror. I mean, can you imagine big burly fishermen screaming like little babies? <laughs> And by the way, you and I would do the same thing if we were in that boat. If you and I go out in the Atlantic Ocean tonight, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and a storm hits us out of nowhere, and in the middle of the pitch black darkness, as our boat is going up and down, we look out and we see a guy walking towards us, you and I'd be holding each other, screaming Okay, so this is what happens as they see the Lord coming their way. But when we're fearful, guess who's cheerful? Jesus, it's not bothering him at all. He says, hey guys, be of good cheer. It is I, don't be afraid. So what you need to know is the disciples were afraid of the waves. Right, They're fearful of the waves. They think these waves are coming in. We're trying to bail it out, but they keep coming in. And after a while, our boat is going to sink and we're going to drown underneath the waves. And so they're afraid. But did you guys notice that Jesus is not afraid one iota of these waves? You know why I know that? Because Jesus Christ is walking on the waves. He's victorious over all. And he is going to use, here in the, in the scriptures, he uses the waves as a staircase to come to the disciples and to comfort them. Now let's apply this to our lives. I'm gonna ask everybody in the room, everybody watching right now on the live stream, I want you right now, I want you to think about what makes you afraid. Think about what concerns you Think about what troubles you. Think about what you're worried about. I'm gonna wait one minute because I want everybody to do this. I want you to think about it. Okay, so if if you got that in your head, just say amen. Nope, that's just 40%. I'm gonna wait. Till everybody's on board here. If you're thinking right now about what makes you afraid, say amen. amen. Okay, so here's what you need to know. That thing that you're thinking about right now It's under the master's feet. It doesn't bother him at all. He walks. He walks on what makes us afraid. And he's going to use in his time, not your time, but in his time, he's going to use that difficulty that you're thinking about as a staircase to come to you and to comfort you in the fourth watch of the night. All this thinking was inspired in my study by my favorite Bible one of my favorite Bible commentators, Warren Wearsby. Look at what Warren said. Why did Jesus walk on the water? To show his disciples that the very thing they feared, the sea, was only a staircase for him to come to them. And so the next time a storm blows into your life, hear The Lord say to you what he said to his disciples. Hear the Lord say, be of good cheer. It is I, don't be afraid. The next time you're going through a difficulty, just understand that it doesn't faze the Lord a bit. That it's under his feet. And at just the right time, he's gonna use that struggle as a staircase to come to you and comfort you. That's good news. What a savior. He is victorious over all things. Now you also need to know that at this time in this story, something else happened that Mark, for whatever reason, chooses to leave out of his gospel. We don't know all the reasons why, but what we do know is that Matthew includes what happened. So I wanna ask you to hold your place in Mark six, turn left and please go to Matthew chapter 14 because this story is so significant, I wanna include it right here in my message. So as you're turning to Matthew 14, you need to know that Matthew shares the same facts that Mark has already shared. Matthew tells us that Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea in the middle of the storm. The disciples saw him and cried out in fear. Jesus cries out, hey, be a good cheer. It's me, don't be afraid. But then Matthew adds this, okay? Start in verse 28. Verse 28 of Matthew 14 and Peter. So this has to do with Peter. And by the way, one of the theories of why this is not included in Mark's gospel is because in the second century AD, at least two of the church fathers said that Peter was the one who gave Mark his information for his gospel. So maybe Peter, just a little humble, didn't want this story to be included in Mark's gospel that he's sharing with Mark. We don't know. It's a theory. But Matthew includes it. Verse 28, and Peter answered him. Okay, so there's Jesus out in the storm standing on the water. Peter's in the boat. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat. And by the way, only Peter does things like this in the Bible. <laughs> he he, he um, is many of your favorite characters He he is the character um, that many of you guys consider your favorite character um, because he does things like this. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. Never happened before, never happened since. Of course, the God-man, Jesus, walked on the water, but this is the first time a human being has ever walked on water. He's walking on the water and he came to Jesus, verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind... We know he didn't see the wind. He saw the effects of the wind, right? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know fear is your enemy. Always has been, always will be. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So look again at verse 30. I wanna focus in on the fact that Peter saw the wind and he was afraid and he started to sink. That leads you to storm strategy number four. When you're in a storm, you gotta remember that the Lord must be our constant focal point. In your storm, you've got to remember that the Lord has to be your constant focal point. And so again, I want you to put yourself back in the story 2,000 years ago. The disciples are on the boat in the middle of the storm and there's Jesus and Peter decides, hey Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat and when he touches the water, it's firm like concrete. Now, now you know, he's like freaking out right now because he's standing on water, but he's looking at Jesus, right? And as long as he's looking at Jesus, everything is A-OK. And so he begins to walk on the water. Why? Because the Lord is his constant focal point. But here's the problem. As soon as he looks over and he begins to focus on the storm, As soon as he feels the rain on his face and the the, the waves hitting his knees and the wind blowing against him, as soon as he gets his eyes off of Jesus and on the storm, Peter becomes afraid and he starts to sink. And ladies and gentlemen, the same thing will happen to you the next storm you go through. As long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as long as he is Your sovereign savior over your particular storm, as long as you're focusing on him, you're gonna be okay. He's gonna get you through the storm. He's gonna cause you to walk on water, to be victorious in spite of the storm. But the moment you get your eyes off of Jesus and you start thinking about all the stuff that's whirling around you, you will become afraid and you also will begin to sink. Fear will sink you, but faith will keep you afloat. Remember that the next time you're going through a storm. Don't just flesh out and freak out and, and dishonor the Lord with your attitude during the next storm. No, keep your eyes on Jesus and remember, fear will sink me, but faith will keep me afloat. So I'm gonna keep my eyes on Jesus. Listen, he's the answer to every life's problem. Now, Peter at least had enough intelligence as he felt himself sinking to call on the name of the Lord. He said, Lord, save me. And look at how Jesus responded in verse 31. It says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so can you see it? Here's Jesus standing. Here's Peter walking on the water towards him. He begins to sink because of fear. So he looks up at Jesus. He cries out, Lord, save me. And so Jesus reaches down and he grabs him, maybe right here, you know, by the scruff of his of hand, his, robe and, and Jesus grabs big burly fisherman Peter and, and he begins to one arm curl him. <laughs> now I know that's really small so you know I'll do, I'll do this so you can kind of think about the carpenter Jesus. I know he was built. And so he's lifting him up Peter's just like going up and he looks him right in the eye and he says, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've got this, I'm sovereign, I just fed 10,000 people, but you're not getting it, I'm in control, keep your eyes on me, stop sinking in fear. So Peter is lifted the same way you and I are lifted by Jesus Christ and him alone. So the next time you're going through a storm, call on the name of the Lord. If he was there for Peter, why wouldn't he be there for you? You say, well, Peter was a saint. Did you know that Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed and getting ready to be crucified, began to curse and swear and denied Jesus three times. Listen, Peter was a human being And he was a sinner, but God loves us in spite of our sin. And he's fully developing us into who he wants us to be. He'll save you in the storm. Check out what Isaiah says. We'll put up Isaiah on the screen, um, chapter 43, verses one through three. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so if you're grateful for a sovereign Savior who's sovereign over the storms, put your hands together, man. Let them know right now how grateful you are to them. Okay, we got to finish the story. So shoot on back to Mark chapter 6. We've got one more point here so mark 6 verse 51 jesus tells them take heart it's me don't be afraid he saves peter peter gets in the boat and now in verse 51 and jesus got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, they didn't get the lesson of the loaves. Again, if Jesus can feed 10,000 people with five pieces of bread and two fish, he can do anything. But their hearts were hardened. My prayer is that your heart will not be hardened towards the Lord. It says in verse 53 that when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and they moored or anchored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized them, or him, Jesus, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. So I wanna focus on just the first part of verse 51. Please pay attention to the phrase, and Jesus got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Everybody say ceased. That's a good word. It leads you to your last storm strategy, and that is that remember, when you're in the middle of it, all storms will eventually end. You see, life is filled with storms. But one day, the Savior is going to come back physically to this earth. Just like He came the first time, He's coming back a second time. And when He comes back, ladies and gentlemen, the news headlines will all change from negative to positive because all storms will cease when the Savior comes back. Are you looking forward to that day? I can't wait till the Lord comes back. Now, until then, the storms will continue to come. We don't have to wait till the second coming to get some relief. And so did you know in the interim, between now and the time the Lord comes back, in the interim, we can get some relief. You say, how? Here's how. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so when you're in the middle of the storm, what you need to know is that as your prayers go up, the peace of God comes down. Now, everybody look at me, please. Here you are, and the storm clouds are just whirling around you. But in those seasons of prayer, as your prayer go up, the peace of God comes down into your heart and then all of a sudden you find that you, by the Spirit of God, are elevated above the storm clouds for a little while where the sun, S-O-N, is always shining. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's the gift that we have as born-again Christians. And we're thankful for it. Amen? so in conclusion, what do you do when you're going through a storm? Number one, remember the Lord, he's guiding you. He'll make you get in the boat. He'll lead you into a storm, but he's got a purpose for that. Number two, remember the Lord is praying for you. He's up there at the right hand of the father. He sees your pain. He's lifting you up. Number three, remember the Lord is victorious over all. So he walks on what we're afraid of. And at his time, not ours, he'll come. He'll give you the comfort that you need. Number four, remember the Lord must be our constant focal point. So keep your eyes on Jesus during the storm. Otherwise you're gonna sink. And finally, take heart because all storms are eventually gonna end. Amen? Amen. And so let me say this. You may be here today and you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What you need to know is that nothing is more important, ladies and gentlemen, than you have that relationship. I didn't say a religion. I said a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship comes one way The Bible says repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And so repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. Repentance means a change of mind. And so you're going this way and you hear the good news. The good news is that God loves you. And he loves you so much, he sent his son and his son God in the flesh, God became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And he and he alone lived the perfect life. He lived the life that you and I could never live, perfection. And then he went to a cross, and he died as a criminal. Why, because he sinned? No, listen to this, because you and I sinned. You see what he did? This is what love does. He knew that you and I had sinned and that you and I deserve death. The penalty of sin is death. But he didn't want us to die and go to hell. So he's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna hang on a cross. I'm gonna take their sins and my body on the tree and I'm gonna take their punishment so they don't have to. And God in the flesh hung half naked on a Roman cross and he bled out for you. Three days later, he got up and began to breathe as you began to sing, as you sang a little while ago, and he walked out of the grave, victorious over your sin, death, hell, victorious over Satan. And now he says, come, come to me. Listen, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who shed his blood to wash away your sins. You cannot work your way to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do. It's by his mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. you guys understand this? We should have died and went to hell. But he says, I love you. I'll take your punishment. And he died in our place. Paid for our sins in full and rose again the third day. So that's the good news of the gospel but the Bible says that we must receive it that we must receive Jesus Christ as our savior. John 1:12 says as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus? So you're walking this way doing your own thing, you hear the good news I just shared it and you say you know what? This is not leading in the right way. I need Jesus. And you turn around the best way you know how. Repentance towards God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Lord, I trust you. Come, be my savior. Come, be my Lord. Have you done that? If you have not done that, I wanna encourage you to do that. Because you will never regret it. Jesus Christ is the best decision that I ever made in my life. And I know there's hundreds of people in this room that would say receiving him was the best decision I've ever made in my life because Jesus never fails. He never fails. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you'd like to do that, or if you're a Christian but you're far from God, and you heard again about his love and you'd like to come back to him and rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, we don't do anything privately because we're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. If that's you and you wanna come to Christ or come back to Christ, just stand to your feet wherever you are, anywhere in the room. We're not gonna do this. We're gonna love you and clap for you, but just stand to your feet if you'd like to come to Christ or come back to Christ. God bless you in the back. Let's really encourage these people as they stand for the Lord. Just stand and remain standing, whoever you are. God bless you guys. All the way in the back. Everybody turn around. Let them know how much you love them back there. Let them know how much you love them and encourage them. You say, I need Jesus Christ. I need him. I need to come to him. I need to come back to him. Before I lead you to do that, is there anyone else that'd like to respond today And just remember this, he stood on a nail for you. We can stand in a church service for him, right? If you'd like to come to him, do it public. Don't do it private. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. God bless you, ma'am. That's awesome. 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 God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you in the back. Good news. Yep. Good news. Good job. Good job. Hey, Father's Day is a great day to give your life to the Lord. Great day to give your life to the Lord. Yeah, God bless you, man. That's awesome. Good job. Good job. Good job. So I admire everyone who stood. I admire your courage for the Lord. You probably, probably have heard me say it before, but Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. That's a promise from the Lord. So that's what you're doing. You're acknowledging him publicly. And so those of you who are standing, you can go ahead and sit down. God knows your heart, God knows who you are. I just wanna make sure that it's public. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Okay, I'm not gonna lead you in a poem. This is what scares me to death about these imitations. is because so many people, they think, if I just say the words and repeat the poem, I'm gonna be okay. And no, 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 listen, repentance towards God. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're ready, best way you know how to turn from your sins and turn to Christ alone and receive him as your savior, and I want you guys to go ahead and bow your heads and just say this in your heart to Jesus. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sins. I know the penalty of sin is death, but I believe you died in my place and paid for my sins. I believe you rose again and you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And so right here and now I turn from my sins and I open my heart and I receive you, Jesus. You alone are my hope. Come into my heart, forgive my sins and be my Lord. And from this day forward, with the help of your spirit, I will be your follower, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen.